good? Did anyone have an exciting week, like an overly exciting week? No one did anything extremely, just mind-blowingly exciting. All right, well, I did do something exciting. Me and my wife woke up Saturday morning and said to ourselves, what are we going to do today? How are we going to spend our Saturday morning? And she said, I think we should go to Disneyland. Sadly, our Disneyland pass doesn't allow us to go on Saturdays. So we decided, you know what? This is the perfect opportunity. Let's go upgrade our passes. So we went and upgraded our passes, went to Disneyland. I had two turkey legs, one in each hand, walking around like a tourist. I loved it. It was the best part of my week, best part of my week. Well, I'm Justin. I work on staff here uh, with Junior High. If it's your first time here, welcome. I'm so happy that you're a part of uh, what we're doing on a Sunday morning. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you, which I know some of you don't, it's totally cool. Like David said, we have Bibles in the back that uh, we would love to give to you. Every week we're in God's Word. This week is obviously no different because this week, uh, I'm excited for two reasons. One, because I'm actually giving a lesson that I didn't write myself. Diane wrote this lesson. She was going to teach this weekend and got sick and couldn't, so she emailed me the lesson. I've put very little prep into it um, as far as changing it. Uh, I think the lesson she wrote is amazing, and we're going to hear really what her heart and her thoughts are on this topic. Um, And this is a really cool week because this week is Palm Sunday. Does anyone know about Palm Sunday, what Palm Sunday is? is, All right, this is perfect. You guys are going to get a little little history lesson real quick. All right, Palm Sunday, Jesus entering Jerusalem. This is uh, the lesson we're giving today is off of some of the teachings he gave in what was the very last week of his life uh, on earth. There, um, uh, teaching his disciples and teaching those around him some very important things that he thought was really important. And this is, this is what we read, and it's not on the screen, so just listen to my words here. This is what it says in John chapter uh, 12, starting with verse 12. This is what it says. The next day, a great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it was written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See your king coming seated on a donkey's colt. Now this is why it's so important. You may hear this verse about donkeys and colts and have no idea what they're talking about. So let me explain it a little bit. One of, the, so one of the amazing things about Jesus is that he didn't come and just randomly do things uh, and randomly sit places and randomly teach things. No, no, no. Jesus came to fulfill prophecy, uh, he, to fulfill things that were written down and spoken and taught about thousands of years before. So this verse specifically is referencing this verse in Zechariah. And this is what it says in Zechariah in uh, Chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the foal or colt, you know, like a baby donkey. So this is what's happening. This is what's happening. The people of Jerusalem knew these stories. The people in Jerusalem knew their own history. So when Jesus is coming in, Imagine, imagine having a book or like a, like a diary from a friend that they talk about what they're planning on doing in the future. And say you knew this diary, this book really well, and then something happens, kind of like a deja vu kind of thing, where you're like, I remember this from somewhere. Like, I rem- this makes sense to me. I remember this. There was something that I read a while ago. There was something that was written down that reminds me of this. This guy coming into Jerusalem you know, as a king, 
sitting on a donkey, on a colt. Like, what is that? What is that story? And they remember from their own history the story and the prophet Zechariah, who says that, that he's going to be coming in into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. So immediately connection is being built between what Jesus is doing and the history that they've been given. Now, in the midst of that, in the midst of, of Christ being uh, uh, the guy who is fulfilling these things and pointing to not only what we're doing here, but pointing to what's been said that will be done, he's doing it. He's living this out. Now, he enters in on Palm Sunday and spends the next week of his life with his disciples, with his best friends, teaching them early in John. He, he's washing their feet, doing this whole foot washing thing. Uh, and later in John, he gives this lesson to us, a lesson, and this is the truth. This is the, the honest truth. I do not even get this right all the time. So listen, here we go. I do not even get this right all the time. This lesson is more of a lesson to me than it is to anyone else. And I'm hoping that kind of going through it, we're all going to learn something together. So flip with me in your Bibles if you have them. If you want one, go in the back and grab one. And uh, do we have any extra papers anywhere? Where's Ryan? Ryan, do we have extra papers there? Go give some of the extra papers to the McAdams. They're, they're spending time with us, and they're going to enjoy this stuff too. They're great. I love having parents in the room. So open up your Bibles and look at the screen. This is what it has to say in John chapter 15, starting with verse 4. Take care to live in me, and let me live in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit when severed from the vine, nor can you be fruitful apart from me. All right, so this is what's happening. Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, I have a plan for you. I know you, I care about you, I've spent time with you, I love you, and I have a plan for you. And this is the plan, that you not be disconnected from the vine, that you, the branches, not be disconnected from me, the vine. See, he, there, this, this, this idea, this imagery is something that makes sense uh, in, this kinda, in this world that they're living in. Like in the world that they're living in, they're crop growers. Uh, and you know, they, they grow, um, the, they have these vines and that's where they get uh, like the grapes that used for wine, which is huge back then. And all the fruits and vegetables, like they, they, they slaughter meat and so they have meat to eat. But a big part of their diet uh, as Jews at this time is fruits and vegetables uh, and you know, the, the berries and the, the olives that come from these branches that make olive oil to help them cook their food. So this idea is so relevant to them where they're at because they grow things all the time. So they're referencing stuff that they already know what he's talking about. He's saying to them, listen, listen, you know how vines and trees work. Like you have healthy vines and healthy trees and they grow stuff. And you guys, your planters, your growers, like you know that if you take a branch and disconnect it from the vine, from the tree, that it dies. It falls to the ground, the, the leaves wither, it dies. It's useless. Now, you know, I'm a big fruit eater recently. Uh, I know this may come as a shock to you. I've never eaten a ton of fruit in my life. My wife is huge into juicing. Anyone know what juicing is? Anyone's parents do that? Okay, good. So a lot of you are living the same, you know, tragedy that I am. So you go to these places and get tons of fruits and vegetables, stuff you would never usually eat, but they put it into a machine that looks like a torture device, to be honest. And they put this fruit in, they press it down, and they like suck all the juice, all the life out of it. It's 
grow, they do broccoli and spinach. I didn't even know you could juice spinach, but apparently tons of juice comes from spinach. And yes, it does taste terrible. So there you go. So I've been into fruits a little bit more, but you're going to get this. You're going to get this. And so do the disciples. You look at a piece of fruit, a ripe, juicy red apple, and you think to yourself, where did this apple come from? And it's easy to kind of conjure up the imagery of like, there's, there must be a fruit tree somewhere, like a big, beautiful apple tree, just, just lush with red or green apples in the middle of a field. Maybe there's rows of these beautiful, lush apple trees. And you would never think to yourself that a big, juicy, red, fresh apple comes off of a dead, disconnected, useless branch. Now, this is what Jesus is saying. He's looking at his disciples and saying, hey, guys, listen. Like a big, fresh branch that's out there blowing in the wind. Throw that scripture back up, Brooklyn. Like a fresh branch blowing in the wind. Take care to live in me and let me live in you. For a branch, you, the branches, you guys, cannot produce fruit when severed from the vine. Nor can you be fruitful apart from me. So he's, he's using imagery that they know, using the example they know. They see that there are branches. They see that Jesus is the tree, is the vine of life. And this is what Jesus says. This is his big aha moment in the next verse. He tells us, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. So he's confirming what they're probably already thinking. Whoever lives in me and I in him shall produce a large crop of fruit. For apart from me, you can't do a thing If anyone separates from me, he is thrown away like a useless branch, withers and is gathered into a pile, and with all the others are burned. You know, this this picture to me of being connected to the vine, being connected to Jesus, is not only hopeful, but it's also helpful. You know, I don't know everything about the Bible, believe it or not. I don't know everything. There's still things that I learn new every day when I read God's word. And this is what Jesus is saying. Connected to me, there's hope. Connected to me, there's help. You don't have to do this alone. You're not a branch disconnected from the vine trying to figure out how you're going to produce healthy, ripe fruit by yourself. You, you don't have to figure it out alone. You don't have to be that branch on the ground living there trying to figure out how you're going to do these things. No, no, no. Jesus is saying, I want to do these things through you all you have to do is be connected to me. And I'm, I'm actually going to make it easy to be connected to me because I'm not going to hide myself from you. This is what it says in John chapter 15. It says, whoever lives in me and I am him shall produce a large crop of fruit. Leave that up for a second. So this is the, this is the idea. Jesus' goal, his plan A, and there is no plan B, is you guys producing a large crop of fruit. That you being connected to Jesus, doing amazing things, is the solution. That is the plan. It's, it's this hopeful, helpful, life-giving, solution-offering plan that Jesus has. Now, we don't always get it right. Sometimes we mess up. I've messed up. All right, I don't always get it right. This is what it says in, in the next verse. John chapter 15, verse 3. It says, He has already tended you by pruning you back for greater strength and usefulness. Does anyone know what pruning is? Would that word mean, all right, good, you're going to get a Home Depot lesson. All right, I'm telling you guys, every week you're probably going to get new great marriage illustrations from me because I am learning tons of great stuff. 
Now, this is what's so cool, pruning. You, you have bushes, like, and they're growing. They're growing bigger. You have trees, and they're just growing huge. And in order to help it be healthy long term, you have to trim it back a little bit. And all that, uh, I heard this whole description at Home Depot, and all I really heard was you get to use a chainsaw. You get to use these big clipper things that look like swords, so you get to be a samurai. Uh, you get to have this other saw thing that just looks like a big bow staff with a big sharp thing at the end. So basically, I get to be a, a tree samurai. That's what they basically told me at Home Depot. So now I'm living the tree samurai life with my tools of, of torture and, and weaponry and my chainsaw, and my goal is to find these trees in my area, and in order for them to be healthy, trim them back. So Jesus is looking at you and saying, hey, 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 I know you won't always get it right. This is what's so important, because this is, this is freeing. There's freedom in this. You know, where, you know where there's not freedom? Thinking if you mess up, you're out. Thinking if you screw up, the coach is going to pull you off the floor. And that's how we think sometimes. We got to keep being perfect and keep just checking things off the list and doing, doing great at being Christian. And if we mess up, Jesus is going to pull us off the floor. No, no, no. This is what Jesus says. There's a pruning process that takes place in your life. There's things that, that maybe they get in there and they, they grow thick. And so I, I trim them back to expose greater character. I trim them back to expose greater heart for service. You know, I prune, I prune back a little bit in your life to allow you to grow even further in me. Like, like I trim back these things in your life that maybe are distracting. I trim them back a little bit. Sometimes I, sometimes I trim back stuff at church because it's gotten really easy or it's even gotten mechanical for you at church, at JHM, at Mariners. So I trim it back a little bit to, to give you room to grow and flourish in new ways. This is what Jesus is saying, that, that I will help you. I will help prune these things in your life to help you grow and flourish and be healthy and produce fruit because you are the branches and I, I am the tree, I am the vine. Now, there's another part of this, and it's the part where you remain disconnected. And it's a sense of, like, hopelessness, I feel. Like, hopelessness and helplessness. This is what it has to say in John 15, 6. It says, if anyone separates from me, he is thrown away like a useless branch, withers, and is gathered into a pile with all the others and burned. You know, th this, is, this is what the issue is. This is what starts to happen. And this is totally true. This is me, okay? So pay attention. This is my story. And, and I'm going to be freeing to say that most Christian adults that want to be honest with you will say that at some point in their life, this was their story too. So your parents, go back and ask them because I, I, I think that they're going to agree with me. This is what can tend, not all the time, but this is what can tend to happen. We start to walk through our faith in Jesus week by week and month by month with our goal to stay connected to the branch, or be a branch connected to the vine. But this is what happens. We start to make a list, and, and kind of we're, we're looking and kind of trying to hone, okay, if, if I do that, it'll help me be closer to Jesus, and, and kind of trying to, trying to eye up the next target, and you're like, okay, if I do more of that, it will help me be closer to Jesus. So we start to, to make this list of things, and we make Christianity and our relationship with Jesus into a checklist, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up every day. I'm going to read. I'm going to read my Bible, and by reading my Bible, I'm going to know Jesus better, and He's going to love me more. 
You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church. I'm going to make sure I'm there on time because if I'm late, I lose points. So I'm going to be on time to church, maybe early. And we talk about bringing our, our, your Bibles to church. Just hear me out. If, you're, if you get up in the morning and you say, well, I need to get more points in my Christian, Christianity uh, uh, you know, point pool uh, on the scoreboard, so I'm going to bring my Bible to church to score more points on the scoreboard with Jesus. And we're, we're thinking we're honing these, these targets, and if we hit them, we'll be closer to Jesus because of it. Now, this is what Jesus is saying. This is what he was saying to his disciples. This was the idea. Jesus is calling us to relationship. He's not listing rules or to-do lists, not a long list of guidelines and laws. He's calling us to live in him. He's giving us the picture of friendship. Now, I know what you're thinking, because this is what I was thinking. Do you remember Port Mariners? Most of you guys in Port Mariners when you were a kid. Raise your hand. Go ahead. It's free. Okay, you were in Port Mariners. Or who volunteers in Port Mariners now? All right, good, even more kids. Okay, so this is the thing. You'll be in Port Mariners or you'll go through VBS and the big goal when you accept Jesus in Port Mariners is you're making Jesus your what? Your forever friend. Now this is what we do sometimes in junior high and high school. We look at that, listen, we look at that and we poke fun at it. We're like, that's just so goofy. Making Jesus your forever friend. That's goofy and cheesy and it's kiddish and childish. And, but this is what Jesus has to say. And this isn't on the screen, so just listen to my words. John chapter 15, verse 15. This is what it says. Really listen to this. I no longer call you servants. Now, he, this is the same passage talking about you being branches and him being the vine. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. All right, so, you know, the servant is kept at an arm's length. A servant isn't brought into the inner circle of the master's business. Um, a servant doesn't uh, go to family vacations together. They don't look at business plans together. Uh, they don't, you know, watch football games together. The servant is kept at an arm's length. This is what Jesus is saying. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Whoa. Whew. It was Jesus' idea for us to be friends. The concept of forever friend, the con you know, concept of, you know, we're, we're going to be, we're going to have friendship with Jesus. You know, I have some really close friends. You know, when I, I had a friend, uh, or I have a friend, not had a friend, I have a friend, his name's Tony, he was the best man at my wedding. This week, I gave Tony a phone call. And there's nothing better than getting a phone call or calling your best friend. Because with that amount of history, with that amount of I know you, it, it's just, there's, there's, it's freeing. There's no checklist of conversation, there's no reading a script conversation points, it's just Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. How are you doing? You tell me some things that are happening in your life right now. And you're just sharing stuff together. You're just getting to know each other. You're sharing in history. You're sharing in stories. Remember the time we let, you know, mice in our school and then we just took the day off and, and went to Canada and ate Chinese food. Yeah, I remember that. That was awesome. Remember that time that kid was bullying you so we both teamed up and let the air out of his tires and then took pictures of him and drove away? Yeah, yeah I remember that. That was awesome. It's great dealing with bullies, taking the air out of their tires. Now listen, those aren't good things. Don't do those things. But this is the thing. Friendships come with stories. Now Jesus is saying, 
He's the first one to say, you were servants. You were, you were people that, that I was teaching and maybe kind of at an arm's length. But this is the thing. You're not at an arm's length. You're my friends. I want friendship with you. Now, what we sometimes do is we turn that friendship, the friendship that he's offering us and to his disciples, we turn that into religion. See, we find religion sometimes to be very attractive more than relationship. Your religion is so measurable, right? I mean, you can measure how you're doing. Every week, you can measure in Christianity how you're progressing. You read the Bible a little more. You prayed a little more. You came to more JHM services. You attended a camp that's like double points. Uh, you know, you're wearing a junior high t-shirt like that. Has to be worth triple points. You're Instagramming stuff. And it's measurable. You see the things that you're doing and you can measure it. And you can measure it not just by yourselves, but you can help measure it with others. And you know, there's this checklist model of religion. Like, this is so great, right? You just make a list of the things that, you know, you want to do as a Christian, as a good little Christian, and you make your list, and you just check stuff off your list, and it's not, you're not doing it because you're friends with Jesus, and because you want to know him, you're doing it because you just got to get this stuff done and out of the way. And once you get it done, you're going to be able to say you got it done, you achieved this goal, and you're going to be great. And, you know, I, when I was in college, uh, I had friends that I was in college with, and they were, they were, they actually made me feel bad a ton. I wouldn't call it bullying, but they made me feel bad sometimes. And this is the reason why. They, uh, they, they were religious in the sense that if you didn't uh, have a certain passion, that you were not as good as everyone else. So this was their passion. They were a big fan of like the rural church, which, I, which I'll explain that. And I'm a fan of the rural church, by the way, too. So you have like a, kind of like a rural area. It's mostly farm country and land and people living there with their families. And the, you have smaller churches, not like big, huge, you know, gigantic churches, but smaller churches of you know, 20, 25 people, which most churches in America are. And you work as a pastor there, but you work bivocationally. So you're, you know, you're working as a pastor, but you're also working somewhere else. You're selling insurance or being a plumber or you know, doing whatever. And they would actually look down on people that didn't do that. And, and that isn't, they, they made it to the point that it was actually kind of religious. Like they said, you know, it was like a checklist for them. Like these are the things you have to do to get God to approve you more. That if you're doing these other things that you must be for yourself. Because see, with religion, there's judgment. Because you start to compare yourself and your own religiousness to everyone else. And you start to say, oh, I'm closer to Jesus because these are the things that I do. And you over there, you're missing the mark because you're not doing the same things that I'm doing. If you were doing the things that I'm doing, you would be a more solid Christian. You would, Jesus would know you more, but, but, but you're not. See, because my religion trumps your religion. And you're keeping score and you're comparing yourselves. See, uh, it becomes all about rules. And this is the hurtful thing. It becomes about failure too. You know, when we focus so much about these lists and these things, the day's going to come where we fail. We don't achieve them. You know, I know what failure feels like. Failure doesn't feel good. To associate my Jesus with failure is hurtful to me. And it's hurtful to my relationship with him. See, it, it, it becomes exhausting because you're constantly looking for approval. You're constantly looking for how you can complete your list in the shortest amount of time so you can, in, in yourself, feel puffed up and arrogant and prideful that this is what you've done. And you start to create this wall between you and Jesus through your own actions, through your own religion, 
Jesus wants to call you friend. Jesus is saying, I want to be friends with you. I, I, want you, I want you to know me, not know about me. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, guys, listen. I want to be your friend. I, I want you to know me as a friend. I don't want you to know things about me and facts like you're about to take a test. You know, for me in college, that was the hardest thing. Because in Bible college and in seminary, you actually really are taking tests and writing papers about Jesus and the Gospels and Romans and all these books of the Bible. And it's so easy to make Jesus a set of facts that you know that you can check off of a list. But when you look at Jesus and you say, man, you want me to know you, not just facts about you, there's rest in that. The competition's over. There is no competition. There's hope in this. Because you have a God that cares about you knowing him and being friends. Not, not how good you can be or the facts you can memorize or the things that you do. No, no, he just wants to be your friend. There's surrender in this. You know, we talked about surrender a couple weeks ago. Like, how freeing is it to just say, Jesus, I want to know you. I may not know everything about you, but I call you friend. I talk to you. I converse with you. I have an openness with you like I have with my friends. That you, you have access into my life. That when I come to JHM, I'm not looking and like, okay, how am I dressed? Do I have my Bible? Have I, did I raise my hands and worship high enough? Because if you only do it this high, you get five points. If you do it this high, you get ten points. Like, that's not what Jesus cares about. You sat in JHM and said, hey, Jesus, friend, if you have something to teach me, I'm here to listen. There's surrender in that. There's no counting points or taking tallies. Jesus, if you have something to teach me, I'm here, I'm listening. I want to know more, but I want to know, I want to know you. I don't want to know facts about you. I want to know you. See, it's scary sometimes when we do things that are not measurable. You see, you can't measure friendship with Jesus. Either you have it or you don't. That's what Jesus was saying. Hey, disciples, you know, the servant illustration. Okay, you're not servants anymore. You're my friends now. It's not measurable. It's just, it's just friendship. It's just, is he or isn't he? Is he your friend? Is he not your friend? Do you know him? Or do you just know facts about him? You know, I'm going to invite the band back up, and this is what we're going to do. You guys all have a sheet of paper, including adults in the back. If you don't have one, raise your hand. So Ryan will get you one, because everyone's going to play this. Listen, you just have a sheet of paper, and you should have a pen with you. And on this, it's, like, it's, it's, a, it's what do you need to do? Here's the question, okay? What do you need to do, knowing this message that I just gave, this lesson about friendship with Jesus, what are the things that you need to do in order to know Jesus better? What are the things that you're putting on your list that, okay, I need to, I'm going to do, I'm going to walk out of this room, I'm going to try some new things. So next week's Easter, the week after we're going to a series called Christian that's all about what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like to be a real, authentic, living Christian. So on your list... I want you to start writing. I'm going to give you a second to write. The band's going to start playing because I love bands playing. And we have a great student band here. We're super blessed. Put, a put on your list three or two or three or one or four or whatever things. Okay? I'm going to give you one minute to do that. So as the band starts playing, write down your list. I'm going to explain a little bit more in a minute.
All right, so listen. I really want to unpack this for you well, so I want you to hear my words. Everything on your list is probably really, really good stuff. Chances are some of you wrote on there, I want to read my Bible more. I want to pray more. I want to, I want to share Jesus with my friends more. I want, to, you know, I want to be at JHM more. I want to be at church more. I want to discuss God at the dinner table more. I want to, I want to be willing to say you know, a prayer of grace over my food at the lunch table at school. These are all great things, but this is, this is the deal. These are all great things to do to know Jesus. But if you let this be your list of things that you have to do to know more about Jesus, you're missing knowing him. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. All the things you wrote on your list, I'm sure, are awesome. There's surrender here. There's going to be freedom here. Because what we're going to say to these lists are these lists are not going to be what lets me know more about Jesus. I'm going to surrender these lists in order to say, I want to be friends with Jesus and I want to know him, not more about him. So this is what we're going to do. Jason's going to lead us in the song, Hosanna, a song all about that image of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And while everything on your list were good, and parents, everything on your list were good too, I'm sure, these lists are not a checklist. These things are not things you have to do to be friends with Jesus. Jesus wants to be friends with you no matter what. So when he starts singing, those who are saying to themselves, I want freedom from lists. I want freedom from religion. I'm gonna ask you to look at your list and as, as good those things may be, I want you to say no to religion and no to lists. I want you to tear them up and bring them up to the trash, leave them in the trash and walk back to your seat knowing that you are saying yes to friendship with Jesus and no to religion and lists. Jason's gonna start playing. I hear ripping, I hear freedom happening right now. Jason, take it away.